to A Legacy of Generosity, a podcast produced by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. You'll hear lessons learned, trends, and best practices from experienced gift planning professionals to help you succeed in increasing legacy gifts for your organization. We are grateful to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations. To learn more about the work they do, visit greaterminnesota.net. Now, here are your hosts. Hello, I'm Christy Ackley, and we're here today with my co-host, Ali Schneider, and our guest, Scott Nelson. Scott is the Director of Gift Planning at Benedictine and the Chair of the Leave a Legacy Minnesota Committee. Christy, I'm excited to have Scott with us and to hear the insight he'll share with us today. For our listeners, today's episode is going to be the first in a regular series we'll do throughout our show called Sharing Advice from the Field. In these episodes, we'll be inviting our colleagues across the state to share their best advice, experiences, and expertise with us all. Yes, and who better to help us kick this series off than one of our favorite people. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Allie and Christy, for inviting me. I'm so pleased to have a chance to speak to our audience, and I want to add my gratitude for the terrific podcast program, the series that you've been producing. Thank you. Real proud of the, the, the things that you're making happening. Yes, and thank you for joining us. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Would you be so kind to share a little bit more about your background with our listeners? You bet. I uh, got started um, in the mid-80s. Um, I had uh, uh, been taking jobs as I could find them and not finding myself being real successful or real happy at work. And uh, I thought maybe I ought to be more thoughtful about that. Uh, so I was introduced to a really interesting woman who is probably about my age now. She was in her late 60s, um, and she had been working uh, with women who had to all of a sudden find themselves in the workforce when, you know, through usually some kind of tragedy. They were widowed, for instance. And I was pretty simple. I was unmarried. I had a college degree. All I knew for sure is I just didn't want to do more accounting and financial analysis work. And so we worked with a bunch of ditto worksheets about what kind of tasks do you like to do. And what we discovered was that uh, the things I most enjoyed were uh, having some expertise, helping people kind of achieve common goals. Uh, writing, speaking were things that I enjoyed. What I was really missing was a mission. I just didn't think I could be you know, selling cars or liquor or tobacco, for instance. Um, I needed something I would believe in if I was going to be successful. Uh, and so she gave me the book, What Colors Your Parachute, and said, go out and do a bunch of informational interviews. And among those interviews was a woman at United Arts in, uh, in downtown St. Paul. And I said, so, you know, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm a, I'm a fundraiser. You know, I talk with people about what their gifts make possible. Uh, I get to be in the intersection of people making these really important, rewarding um, and impactful investments in uh, children and art in our city. And I thought, wow, that sounds like, and you know, and they pay you for that. And he said, yep, yep, they do twice, twice a month. <laughs> and that was really my first introduction to fundraising. I spent most of a year getting my first fundraising job. This would be in the, the late 80s when the middle of a recession and jobs were scarce. Uh, and uh, got a job on the phone with the Minnesota Orchestra and have been doing this work ever since. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's been a great ride. I've been uh, uh, lucky, I think, uh, to have found uh, uh, 
that mission, that purpose, and something I had a knack for. Uh, and so I'm uh, every day grateful to get up and get my big boy clothes on and, and make things <laughs> happen uh, for the people we serve here at Benedictine. So, Scott, what are all the places that you've worked? Well, let's see. Um, uh, the first job was, again, on the phones, calling, you know, uh, ticket buyers uh, for the Minnesota Orchestra and ask them to consider, you know, a, a checkbook gift. Uh, then uh, I got a job. Uh, it, it's been a, quite a while in, in special events. I got a job running a walkathon called uh, Walk for Mankind that raised money for uh, uh, kids living in trash heaps just across the border in Mexico from San Diego. And that was recruiting uh, generally church kids to walk, you know, uh, five or so miles and get pledges. Um, then I spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time in healthcare. The first uh, six years um, organizing a pledge bicycle event called the Care 11 Bike Classic uh, for hospitals. A uh, hospital organization has since become known as a lineup. And um, thereafter, I was... Uh, director of annual giving at what was then uh, Children's Hospital of St. Paul. Uh, and after that, I worked for the uh, St. Paul Community Foundation. Uh, and following that, I worked for Gillette uh, Children's Specialty Healthcare as a director of gift planning. Um, that's a really interesting hospital. Um, and finally, I've been here at Benedictine for, I think, nine years. All in, wow. I think, about 30, 34 years. Wow. As we talk about where you started, uh, is there something you would go back and tell yourself from when you started, from what you know now? Yeah, I think, I think much of what I have done in at least the beginning of the career was kind of getting into leadership. And while I, I certainly enjoyed it, I, uh, if I were to do it over again, and there are not many things I do differently, I would focus more intently on donor relationships and uh, fret a little less about budgets and goals and management. <laughs> so you kind of found your way into a fundraiser. I did. I, I found a way into gift planning, um, um, really to do um, uh, less leadership and more uh, relationship work. I felt that was really my gift. Uh, those were the best parts of my day, and I, I enjoyed that very much. still do. That's awesome. What is it about the relationship building that you like? Well, I think it's a privilege to get to do our work. Um, it's pretty rare that you're meeting with someone who's uh, unhappy with the organization or has a beef. It happens, but it's not a common thing. Uh, by the time I'm meeting people, they've been making gifts for, uh, you know, maybe a long time, maybe just the last three years. Uh, most often, they're really kind of pleased to have a conversation with someone who's interested in why they've been so generous. Uh, I get to say thank you. Um, and talk about the kind of things their gifts make possible. Uh, and I have to say, donors very often are thanking me um, as if I'm the one doing the patient care or have helped kids with polio walk or have made sure that their um, you know, elderly grandparent uh, felt loved and cared for and the final days of their life were rich and rewarding. Um, it's... Uh, um, I, I, I'm repeating myself, but it just really feels like a privilege to get to be a part of that, mm -hmm. uh, to um, be with people who are proud of who they've become, of their success, of their capacity and, and interest in supporting a mission that we all 
the donors, myself, the doctors, the social workers, the volunteers, you know, we're all focused on on a common mission. Um, and it's a real, again, pleasure to get to help connect those people in a way that's uh, really rewarding for them. I feel like um, among the many things people in our line of work need to do well uh, is make sure our donors just are delighted uh, with what they can make possible and feel acknowledged and recognized and uh, the gratitude for the things they've made possible. It sounds like you've really found the true meaning of being a gift planner, like helping someone create their or find their philanthropic dreams and make those possible. I I think so. It sure feels that way to me. You know, another this this might go back to the what do I wish I had known or done differently. Something I didn't really understand when I started is another really important constituency is my leadership. You know, I work for organizations that make things happen highly, you know, skilled and uh, doctors and leaders that are making really complex organizations, hospitals, and in currently long-term care kind of run. And they're real proud of what they make possible and, and the real challenging life and death and, and uh, uh, governance and policy and reimbursement and budget kind of decisions. And it's pretty rare that any of those folks really understand philanthropy. Um, and I'm finding that I'm most successful in the organizations and with our donors if I can um, consider that those leaders as a real important constituency that need to be, you know, carefully, thoughtfully, planfully over time able to understand what these gifts make possible, what they feel like for the donors, how they can uh, be a part of the process that, again, is rewarding and joyful for them. Uh, and I, you know, you can, can think of times when donor, when, when leaders were just really surprised. They just didn't know um, the emotional uh, part of fundraising. And uh, most of them, when in the clinch with the donor, have found it pretty rewarding. I think you um, pointed out a very important thing there that you need to build relationships with your supporters and within your organization, how do you build those relationships within your organization, like with doctors or leadership? Or With, with mixed success, I have to say. I'm not betting <laughs> a thousand. I think it really is a very individual thing, and just like donors, and, and we speak in shorthand about donors and leaders and others as if they're all the same, or at least they share common characteristics, and they're wildly different mm -hmm. and have all kinds of... Um, misconceptions and emotional uh, responses to money and wealth, uh, to poverty, to disability, to aging. Um, and they're not unlike donors in that they're, again, they're very varied. And I, my role, my job, my success really rests with my um, ability to kind of figure out what they need to know what they need to understand what they um, can and should experience uh, for this whole enterprise to be successful um, you know with donors most folks who do the kind of work that we do you know we have kind of a list of 
folks that we're figuring out. Some of them we think we've got a plan and we're working that plan. It's not unlike that with my leadership. Mm-hmm. And generally, if I have made a misstep or things aren't going the way I anticipated, I generally find that the, the problem's me, that I've been making assumptions that I haven't kind of, I've reached I'm, I'm assuming that that I'll be understood and appreciated, and that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. So it's back to back to basics. You know, what is what does Margaret need to know? You know, what kind of things are rewarding for her? What are her current perceptions? How can I help her understand better? How can I make this rewarding um, for Margaret as well as the donor that maybe she and I would be sitting in front of, for instance. That's a great insight, too, to be able to reflect and, and realize that maybe you're making some assumptions about what the, the person across the table is hearing or thinking. So I think that's where it boils down to a lot for most of us when we're in relationships is there's some kind of common misconception that's happening. You know, we both think that the other person is thinking something that they're not. So that's a really great insight, Scott. Thanks. I, you know, I was, I, I'm, you know, at a, at a, I mean, I'm at a party with, with Roxanne and meeting people for the first time. People ask what I do, and I tell them I'm a fundraiser. <laughs> you know, their eyes sometimes cross, and they may take a step back as they're fearful, or, you know, their own. They, they, you know, they're thinking this isn't going to be fun. Uh, and I, and, you know, I think that's, um, uh, it's too bad uh, that uh, some folks don't yet understand and and. Uh, I'm finding out with the leaders as well. You know, it's not uncommon for folks to think you're kind of black magicians or, you know, magicians pursuing some kind of alchemy uh, and, um, uh, you know, arranging things so that uh, donors write checks. And uh, and it's different than that. And it's more rewarding and beautiful than that. And the potential uh, for transformational, transformational gifts, both for the donor and the organization, are really pretty remarkable and unappreciated by and large until the donors and leadership has experienced them. And real learning happens and it's not typically because I told them so, it's because they've experienced something that uh, has transformed their perceptions, their, their lives sometimes. So when you're doing that, Scott, do you have any, I don't wanna say maybe tips, but um, how do you make those conversations meaningful and get them to that point in the relationship? Yeah, it's such a good question, Allie. I, I have um, found that I'm most successful when I'm curious and I ask, you know, thoughtful questions. Um, and by questions, I mean not the kind of questions they can answer with one or two syllables, yes or no, or, you know, 237. I ask them why they've been so good to us. I have a lot of first kind of meetings currently in, in, in the work I'm doing now with people who've been generous and we don't know them very well. And so I, I say that, you know, we don't know you very well. You've been very generous. and It's been a long time. Tell me why have you been so good to us? And people have a lot to say about that, you know, whether they're extroverted and they, like me, you know, will start a sentence and they're not sure how I'm going to end it. Or people who might be quiet and think for, you know, oh, I've had people think for several minutes before saying the next syllable. Um, and people appreciate being appreciated. People generally give what they have most to give, and very often that's advice or their thoughts or 
their story and just inviting that conversations with questions about help me understand um, uh, works, I think, pretty well. Uh, certainly, um, you know, it's been uh, successful fundraising. I think it's also a pretty solid way to start any kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott, you said something as you were um, telling us about that, about some of your donors that there's, you know, quite a few seconds that pass before they say a syllable. And I think that's one of the things, especially as extroverts, that we tend to get uncomfortable with that pause. But I'm guessing that when you um, when you lean into the pause and let it just be, that you probably hear pretty amazing things afterwards. Whereas if you had started to try to fill it, you wouldn't have gotten to hear their story. Am I on the mark with that? I sure think so. That has been my experience. Uh, and it's worth noting that we're the only one in the room that's uncomfortable with the silence because uh, we don't know what's going on and we don't know what's going to happen next. And we don't have to be. We can choose to be uncomfortable or we can choose to be relaxed, although it's not uncommon for this choosing to be relaxed and silent takes some you know, discipline and effort. Um, having done it even just a few times, I think I'm thinking about leadership kind of beginning to understand this. Uh, they folks can appreciate that that's really where the magic happens. It really is all about the person you're having the conversation with. Uh, and my perspective is I'm kind of, you know, the James Court. I'm kind of inviting someone in the chair or the sofa next to me to, you know, help me understand. And they have wonderful things to say. I'm finding that donors, anyone really engaged in this kind of relationship work that we do, uh, most folks are really pretty happy to tell you what they think and what they feel, and those answers are illuminating. That's awesome. So, Scott, we um, have talked about the really positive side of relationships, but as people, we know that not all relationships are always happy and positive. You know, I mean, you can have a really great relationship and, and something goes wrong. Um, can you give our listeners any advice that you might have for those times where you need to set boundaries with your donors or um, you have to have those crucial conversations about a direction your organization has gone or any any of those um, types of things that especially our, our listeners who might be new in the field could really use some advice around? Well, a couple of thoughts. I mean, one is, you know, the, the role of a gift officer, of a plan giving officer is really to be the correspondent, the connection uh, between donors and an organization. And that's really what we do. I mean, we, and let me see more about why that's important. I think it's because it's not about you. It's not about me. I can think of times when I've felt like I've really disappointed donors. They've been unhappy with that their gift hasn't been spent or that, you know, capital gift they made for a project might not happen. Um, and it really isn't about me. I'm in the clinch. I'm the one that's really uh, there to keep faith uh, with donors, and even if that sometimes means disappointing them, to help them understand kind of uh, what I know now and what um, I can help them understand or know or do differently. 
um, now and in the future. Um, and I think for the most part, donors have appreciated that. Uh, they may very occasionally choose to kind of uh, kind of give up on our relationship, but more oftenly, um, uh, they appreciate the honesty and the candor uh, and the empathy uh, of someone who's trying to be a good, faithful friend. Um, this would be a great place to tell some stories, and I'm kind of reluctant to <laughs> share, you know, those um, hard conversations. Um, maybe another day. Um, I, I would say that, with rare exception, they work out just fine. It's an uncomfortable moment that passes. So, Scott, are there any resources or insights you wish you would have had at the beginning of your career? Boy, that's another great question. Um, I've been at this a while. Uh, I've read, you know, lots of books on on fundraising and specifically the kind of relationship fundraising that, that I do. And I think the book that really um, was most useful to me just kind of trying to get a toehold was Bill Sturtevant's book called The Artful Journey. Uh, and there's a subtitle, Cultivating and Soliciting uh, the Major Gift. And among the things Bill suggested was that preparation really matters. Um, and before meeting uh, with any donor, whether it's the first time meeting or the, the you know, last in a you know, many year relationship is to um, take out a piece of paper and write down answers to three questions. One is, the first is, what's the best possible outcome that could happen? Uh, and that's particularly helpful because, you know, you ask people for things and they you never quite know what they're going to say, but they may, uh, may want to make a larger gift or a bigger gift or uh, engage in some way that you would never have dreamed of. And it's helpful to come prepared or at least to be available for that. You know, for instance, bring a pledge sheet along with you, you know, every visit because you never know. And they say, well, we're ready to give. Let's talk. Second question was, what's the least acceptable outcome? And this is like, you're not going to leave this meeting until <laughs> something has happened. Um and it's not uncommon. I'll go into a meeting and ask someone for a gift and they're not ready or they're not sure or, you know, um, for a variety of reasons, they're, you know, not, not going to happen today. And maybe the least acceptable outcome is, you know, let's, before I leave today, let's set the, the time and date of our next meeting. Or, you know, could we do this in late June? How's Wednesday the 25th look for you? And finally, what are you going to ask for? Um, you know, for folks who haven't done fundraising, they just assume every meeting is a solicitation. Every time I talk to someone, I'm asking them to make a, a significant gift. And not typically the case. Maybe one in 10 we're asking for a specific gift. But I need to have a reason for the meeting. Um, and I'd better be clear on what that is. Donors can get real confused if we're having coffee and we say goodbye and we haven't done anything. If I haven't ask for their input or their help or a gift or um, to help understand. Donors expect us to ask them for things. That's um, a disappointment and a source of confusion if we have meetings and we're not asking them to engage in some uh, meaningful way that, that is 
both rewarding for them and meaningful for our organization. So I have two follow-up questions to this. Um, the first being, do you have any examples of you doing this kind of preparation and it going well? Yeah, I'm thinking about um, a donor I had uh, uh, who was a very successful businessman. His wife um, had uh, died in the last year, and he was uh, uh, really still just really bereft. Um, and I had been kind of introducing myself and um, trying to understand, uh, name's Gene, uh, kind of what interest he may have had in, in the children's hospital I was working with at the time. Um, and so um, I had, you know, thought the best possible outcome would be um, uh, that uh, he would speak about that. Uh, was it his interest? Was it his deceased wife's interest? I kind of needed to understand. Um, and that was also kind of my least acceptable outcome. I kind of didn't want to want to leave until I got that answer. And here's a tip, you know, if they're, if your best possible and your least acceptable outcome are the same, you probably haven't done enough thinking. I hadn't. And so I asked Jean, why, you know, why, what's your interest in, in Gillette and the, the children uh, that we serve? Uh, and he really broke down and talked about his wife's life, that she died, that he was uh, really kind of lost and trying to figure out what at a pretty advanced age he was going to do with his business, with his house. Um, and um, where he was going to live. And what he said was his wife really wanted to invest in the children. I'm not sure she had a specific hospital in mind or a way. I think that he just happened to be there when I was representing you know, children who could benefit from, from Gene's support. Um, and in almost the same paragraph, and he wasn't sure he, he could go, go home and live in the house they'd lived in. Um, so the best possible outcome happened to me, which is, well, Gene, we could talk about, you know, using that house, your residence, which is a lovely house, um, as a way you might support the, the children we serve. Uh, there are a number of ways we can do it. You can leave it in your will. If that's the way that you want to do. It sounds like you're kind of, you're not sure where you're going to live. Maybe you could think about doing called something called a life estate gift, whereby uh, you would make a gift of the house, continue to live in it as long as you'd like, and when you leave this world, or sooner if you'd like, that gift would um, uh, come into the hands of the hospital, uh, and we could sell it and make great things happen. Uh, how does that sound to you? And I felt fortunate at the time that I was kind of ready and nimble to kind of offer that, had I been thinking enough beforehand, I'd have come prepared for that. So Scott, you, um, as you were talking about some of these gifts, and especially, you know, the Leave a Legacy Minnesota, our goal is is really those bequests, you know, the, the end of life stuff. But as fundraisers, we don't always stay with one organization. And so some of those gifts that we help, you know, make happen for the future, we don't actually get to mm -hmm. see. And I'm guessing in your 30 some years, that that's probably happened to you quite a few times. It has. Um, yeah, how does that feel? Um, it varies. When the gifts come through, I feel really good about them. I've had donors that have made uh, promises uh, to include us in their estate, and they just changed their mind. Um, and it's not something they typically, you know, come back and say, we want you to know, Scott, that we changed our mind. They just passed away and nothing happened. 
Um, and so those have, there have been disappointments. Um, makes me wonder uh, if the relationship was bobbled in some way. Very often, uh, I, I have to remind myself, that, you know, people give or don't give for all kinds of reasons. And uh, family typically comes first. <laughs> kind of hard to argue with that. Uh, so even the best intentions sometimes don't work out. And, uh, and that's really just fine. You know, I, uh, I got a, I, I want to celebrate that I had this rich, rewarding relationship that got to be a conduit to an organization that we both liked and admired and, uh, uh, uh whatever happens really is better than anything that would have happened without, you know, me being there, uh, uh, and able to help in that way. And that's a win. Even if uh, even the gifts don't don't happen the way we expect them to, right? You at least help them figure out that philanthropy is an important part of your legacy, and help them figure out how to make that mm-hmm. happen for whatever organization that gets it. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Well, this has been just a really enjoyable experience to just chat with you, Scott. We really appreciate again you coming on the show today and sharing your your insight. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to get you to come back on again sometime in the future. Maybe share some of those stories that you did you weren't ready to share today. <laughs> another Halloween story. <laughs> That's right, another yeah. nightmare story. So um, we'll uh, we'll pencil you in for for the next one that we do on that. But anyways, Scott, we always like to ask our guests um, one last question before we wrap up, and it's just. In general, what's the best advice you ever received? And it doesn't have to be related to your career. It could just be the best life advice you ever got. It could be a kitchen hack for all we care. Just what's one piece of advice um, that you feel like that's the best piece you've ever gotten? I think the the piece of advice that really, um, I guess I received it maybe at just the right time, uh, came from the great Craig Ruck. We know him. He serves on the same, on our committee, our Leave a Legacy. Uh, committee, Minnesota committee, uh, he, in the middle of a conversation about uh, the uh, tax implications of really complex gifts and the, you know, uh, interesting kind of challenges with matching donor intent with an organization and what an organization could say or do or promise or live up to, he talked about major and planned gifts um, as if they are the same as improvisational jazz, that you prepare a piece, you practice, you master, you know, the beat, the tempo, the uh, the line. Uh, and then when you're on the stage, you're very likely to be surprised about precisely the way things go. Um, and he went on. Actually, he was smart enough. He stopped talking about it then and went on to something else. And I have to say, my on reflection, I have come to really appreciate it. The things that that I would pass along are that all that preparation uh, is so meaningful. It helps in so many different ways. Um, Not the least of them is, you know, when you're asking someone to make a significant personal gift, you'll be relaxed. Uh, You will not worry about the outcome. Uh, You'll be gracious and empathetic, and you'll be enjoying yourself. And your joy and mastery and empathy will show. And good things happen. Uh, whether the things you're hoping for, or planning for, or something else, good things happen when we're ready, when we're prepared, when we're in the moment, and we're really attuned and interested and curious um, 
about the donors we're talking to. Wow, that's a great piece of advice, Scott. Thanks for sharing with us and our listeners. And and thanks again for joining us today. Um, For our listeners, just so you know, the couple books that Scott mentioned, we'll make sure to link those in our show notes so you can can access those resources there. Yes, thank you, Scott. Uh, You always give such great advice and insight. And we are lucky to have you as the uh, Leave a Legacy Minnesota chair of our committee. So uh, that's our show for today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or follow Leave a Legacy Minnesota on LinkedIn to be notified of our future episodes. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we hope you join us next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Legacy of Generosity podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. For show notes and access to other free educational content, visit leavealegacymn.org and click resource library. Consider joining us as a member of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association for Networking and Comprehensive Education. And connect with us on LinkedIn to share your feedback. Make it a great day.